0: Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Heavenly Father, we wish to see Jesus. We wish to hear Jesus. And we wish for Jesus to uh, provide life in us in these dark times. We, um, we, we, we hope to see your return. And in the reading of your word, we wish to be present to you. Amen. The scripture reading today is taken from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak the word of the Lord.
1: Some of you may not realize uh, that we are living in the heyday of a horror movie renaissance. According to a recent article published by the ratings and marketing firm Nielsen, as of October 10th, there had been 43 horror horror films released theatrically just this year. I didn't even know that there were that many movies coming to the theaters. Four of the top 10 most watched films of the year have been horror films. And if you've missed uh, some of these movies don't worry, because they're coming to a streaming platform near you. You can catch up, but you will have to be selective uh, because uh, Nielsen says there are now 1.1 million unique horror titles to choose from, <laughs> spanning six different sub genres. While the vast majority fall into the general horror category, they say, more than 189,000 fall into the paranormal subcategory. All this begs a question for me. In a culture that so often denies the existence of the supernatural, why are we so obsessed with it? Often treat the New Testament's teaching about supernatural powers like a historical curiosity, and not something to take seriously. He says, uh, we treat the New Testament like a guidebook to a particular country Uh, When everything in that country is totally changed, such a guidebook no longer serves the serious purpose of being useful to travelers in that country, but at the most, it is worth reading for amusement. While one is making the journey easily by railway, one reads in the guidebook. Here, a band of robbers has its stronghold from which it issues assaults on travelers to maltreat them. We've been studying the armor of God this fall to take a different approach. And uh, we're doing this partly because it it often feels uh, like we're no longer traveling easily by uh, railway uh, through history. It's more like the train is broken down and we're unprepared for what we might find in the countryside. We need more than amusement. So we've been looking at each piece of the armor of God, and and today we come to the shield of faith. And let's consider three things about faith that we learn from this passage today. The the provision of faith, the power of faith, and the protection of faith. The provision of faith, the power of faith, and the protection of faith. First, the, the provision of faith. Like all the rest of the armor... Faith is a gift to enable you to stand firm in an unstable world. Ephesians 6 uh, gives us this metaphor of spiritual warfare uh, to describe the Christian's situation. There's a battle to be engaged and armor to wear into it. This whole concept I've wondered in these weeks of of putting on battle and going uh, to war uh, I, I've wondered if it, it makes some of you uh, a little bit nervous, right? especially in this era of, of polarization and, and conflict. Is this really a time for, for military metaphors of faith? And maybe we would be better off avoiding texts text like this one and not encourage people to adopt this kind of mindset. It is true that this metaphor, like anything else in the Bible, can be misunderstood and, and misused, But we shouldn't allow that to let us miss the real point here. The view of the world that the Bible gives us is both darker and more hopeful than any alternative. It's darker because it says the source of all our problems is not ultimately an individual people or social classes or political movements. The real source of the problem is spiritual, Uh, As we hear in our text, there are spiritual forces of evil against which we must take a stand. There are powers and principalities, the rulers and authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Paul talks about the schemes of the devil, and in our our verse today about faith, uh, this evil one is portrayed as shooting flaming arrows at believers, This is a darker picture than any social, political accounting of evil. At the same time, the Bible is more hopeful than any alternative because it tells us that God himself has gone to battle against this evil. And in the death and resurrection of Jesus, he is victorious. Because Jesus is risen from the dead, Paul can tell believers to be strong in the Lord, and in the strength of his might. We saw a few weeks ago that this strength, uh, this strength of his might, uh, is a reference to God's resurrection power earlier in the the letter. So the Bible is more hopeful than anything else because the hope that it gives us is not in ourselves, uh, but in God's power to bring renewal and peace. We still must wrestle with things that are wrong in our world and in ourselves. But the final outcome of the battle is certain. God wins. Paul says in Romans 13, 12, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. This image of putting on the armor of light is a perfect one uh, for this season of Advent that we're beginning today. In Advent, we remember what it was like for the Old Testament people of God to to long for, to look forward to the, the coming of the Messiah. And we join them in longing for him to come again. This image of putting on armor for a cosmic battle captures perfectly the the character of of Advent time for Christians. And this is why the the color for Advent is is purple. There's a darkness still to Advent and a looking for the light to shine, a sense of of the seriousness of this time and waiting and calling upon Christ to come again. And to take up the shield of faith then means to trust that God really made provision for you for this time. Whatever your circumstances, you have resources available to face the forces of darkness. In Christ, you are equipped for this task. James 4.7 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you about what it means to submit yourself to God, the author Richard uh, Lovelace says in his book The Dynamics of Spiritual Life uh, that this means something like order your life under God. And expanding on this, he says, come fully into the light of Christ's redemptive provisions for you as he opposes the forces of darkness, laying hold by faith of every dimension of strength, with which your union with Christ endows you. When you submit yourself to God in this sense, James says, the devil flees. But we can be more specific about the power of this kind of faith. In Ephesians 6.16, Paul describes faith as a shield that has the power to extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. There were two different kinds of shields used by Roman soldiers uh, from which Paul could have chosen his imagery. One was a smaller round shield worn on the arm, and the other was a large shield which covered the whole person, about four feet long and and two and a half feet wide. And the shield that, that Paul has in view here is this large one. For a battle, the shield was wrapped in leather, and soaked in water so that when the opposing army would, would dip their arrows in tar and, and light them on fire, they would be extinguished after getting stuck in the shield. When Paul says, you can extinguish these flaming darts, the word that he uses to describe our ability to use this shield, it's, it's stronger in the Greek. It means to be empowered, uh, the word that he uses here is, is the Greek word "dunamai," from which we get our word "dynamite." He's saying, with with this shield of faith, you are empowered to extinguish those flaming arrows. This is a, a picture of, of the confidence that faith brings when it's exercised and, and applied to life. But we must take the attack seriously. The flaming arrows of the evil one are the ways in which he seeks to discourage you. And, and uh, if you don't think at all about what those attacks might look like, you won't be prepared to raise your shield. Richard Lovelace, uh, whom I quoted earlier, describes three of the most common forms of, of spiritual attack. The first is temptation. In scripture, Satan is described, uh, is, is called the, the tempter. And this is probably the most popular way that, People often think about spiritual attack as as temptation. But usually we think about this as being tempted to some isolated uh, act of sin. Not necessarily something superficial always, like chocolate, but but a serious temptation to do wrong. And this can certainly happen. But Lovelace suggests uh, a wider view of what temptation might look like. He says this, most commonly, temptation is directed toward larger ends, involving believers in whole ways of life or patterns of behavior, which are sub-Christian, which will extinguish their spirituality and, and make them negative witnesses, or luring them into adopting outlooks which excuse or justify sin and which may almost totally obscure their faith. In other words, the devil schemes not just to capture us in uh, a blatant and, and obvious sin, though that can happen. But more subtly, he tempts us to self-reliance and, and to cultural idols that lead us away from a relying on Christ and a life of faith. The second attack that Lovelace describes is deception. He says, fallen angels are called powers of darkness, not because they are in any way creatures of night or or linked to the common superstitious fear of the dark, but because they are permanent dwellers in a world of lies and ignorance. Living in a mental universe of lies, they persuade people to keep on embracing lies concerning God, themselves, and the world, reinforcing the natural affinity of the flesh for darkness. Deception makes us blind to the truth, so we no longer recognize it, and instead trust in counterfeits to the gospel. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. 14. In the words of the movie The Usual Suspects, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Devil, diablos means slanderer. And Satan is called the accuser of the brethren in Revelation 12. When we still focus on our failures and totally ignore the, the positive ways in which we may be growing, the accusations of the enemy become larger in our own minds, sometimes in the minds of others, uh, larger than the reality of who you are in Christ. And this leads easily to discouragement and division. Now this often happens even in a church community, when instead of assuming the best of one another, leaning into the challenging conversations with trust, uh, we begin to believe that others are against us or are whispering about us. If that thought comes to your mind, you should, uh, you should always reject it. Satan always wants us to start with suspicion toward one another rather than love and grace. So how do we dis- extinguish Uh, the temptations, the deceptions, the accusations of the evil one. The resources of the gospel directly apply to these attacks. When you raise your shield of faith against temptation, you remember that God has already brought you out of darkness and into his light through the death and resurrection of Jesus. When you commit yourself to the truth of his word, You are given the power of discernment to recognize falsehoods and lies. No accusation can stand against you when you believe that you are covered in the righteousness of Christ and that he is your peace. Because he has been faithful to you, you can trust wholly in him. This brings us to our last point today. Faith uh, is likened to a protective shield not because there's anything special about the faith in itself. It's what and who your faith is in that matters. If you can stand, Jesus is the son of God who died and was raised again for you. Then you can stand firm because whatever suffering or struggle you may face, nothing will ever take away his love for you. God has given you his own armor to empower you to stand up against even the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Have you noticed that this armor uh, is almost completely defensive in nature? Every piece, except for the sword, which we'll come to in two weeks, is protective. This is significant. and shows us that the calling of the Christian life is not to put on this armor so that we can go out and win God's battles for him. We've already said he's already won the battle definitively. He gives you his armor so that you can stand in his victory. In the words of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, this is a faith that receives and rests upon Christ alone for salvation as he has offered to us in the gospel. Let me offer an illustration of what this looks like uh, in practice from another letter of Paul's, uh, where he didn't just teach this doctrine, but, but he lived it and he modeled it. In his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes to the church in some distress. The church in Corinth is fractured and there are factions that are critical of Paul. And in the fourth chapter of the letter, he replies to his critics and he says this. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things that are now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Do you see what he's doing here? In response to the judgment of others, he rests his faith in the judgment of God, in the, in the coming of Christ. He even says he, he's not even going to judge himself. It's the Lord's judgment that matters, and he looks to the time when Christ will come to bring to light the things now hidden in darkness. When you rest in the opinions of others, you will live or die by them. When you rest in your opinion of yourself, that's a recipe for discouragement and depression. But when you receive and rest upon Christ alone, the that really matters belongs to God. And if he is also the one who has taken your guilt and your shame upon himself and given you his spotless righteousness to wear as armor, then you don't have to be afraid. Let me end with this. One of the most powerful artistic portrayals of a life of faith that I've ever seen is the 2019 film, Uh, A Hidden Life, written and directed by Terence Malick. It tells the true story of Franz Jagerstadter, an Austrian farmer and devout Christian who refused to fight for the Nazis during World War II. Franz is the only man in his small mountain village who questions Nazi propaganda. And when he is drafted into the military, he refuses to swear an oath of allegiance to Adolf Hitler and the Third Reich. Throughout the film, everyone except his wife tries to convince him that this sacrifice is pointless. Why should he and his family suffer for just a a quick bend of the knee? Even a priest says to him, God doesn't care what you say, only what's in your heart. This is a profound picture of both spiritual darkness and what it looks like to stand firm. For refusing to take the oath to Hitler, Franz is sent to prison, he's beaten, he's tried, he's executed. He did what was right, but at a tremendous cost to himself and and his family. Was the cost too great? Is this faith worth it? As the film wrestles with this question, in the end, the answer it clearly gives is no, even though it's, it's full of complexity and hardship. After his arrest, as Franz moves from prison to prison, uh, we find pain, but also in inexplicable beauty and in a transcendent power that sustains him. Through his life and through his sacrificial death, we discover the the power of faith in Christ to stand up to evil. I'm told that the title of this movie, A Hidden Life, comes from uh, two different sources. The first is Colossians 3.3, for you died and now your life is hidden with Christ and God. And the other source is a quote from George Eliot's novel, Middlemarch, which goes like this, for the growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts, and that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been is half owing to the number who lived faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs. That things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been is half owing to the number who lived faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs. Most of us here are not called to be great movers and shakers on the world stage, like those whose obituaries we read in the paper. But all of us can live faithfully a hidden life in the place where God has put us. We can be faithful because He has been faithful to us. In His strength, we find strength. Do you believe this? Let's believe it together. Let's pray. Father God, we pray today that you would grant us grace to believe in all your promises and especially that you will never leave us nor forsake us, especially in situations of conflict and danger and adversity and just the everyday trials of life. Would you help us to look to you, to not trust in ourselves, but to rely on all the provisions that you have made for us in Christ? We trust in him today as our savior and our Lord And we ask you to give us grace that we might love as he loves and give as as he gives and serve as he serves. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.